Hi, and welcome to another episode of Walleye Chronicles, where I track each and every one of you down, bring you in or get you on Skype, and talk about how fishing affects your life and how you start out fishing. This week, I have a very special guest, one of my favorite H2H anglers and the favorite anglers I've been able to uh, watch over the years. And uh, without further ado, Miss Marianne Hosky. How are you doing, Marianne? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Wonderful, wonderful. It's nice to have you on. We've been trying to get you on for a while. You... Um, I didn't know much about you until you made an appearance on Head to Head, and then I absolutely just fell in love with your fishing techniques, your style, and everything about you, how you talk in the boat, how you treat everybody in the boat. So thanks for taking time to come sit with me today. Yeah, it's nice to be here, and um, of course, it's always nice to talk to folks back in the Midwest um, from (laughs) Florida. Right. So where did you, so you're now in Florida. Where did you first start out? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the state of Michigan, and it is the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. So um, most people mistake that and say to me, oh, you grew up in the UP, which, no, I I eventually managed to get to the UP for a few (laughs) years, but um, uh, Charlevoix, Michigan would be the area. Okay. So what was your first fishing experience that you can remember? I know you've, I've read some things in the past. You uh, grew up with your grandpa, grew up fishing with your grandpa quite a bit. So what was the first experience on the water? The first experience that I remember on the water was with my grandfather. Him and my grandmother retired from the Detroit area up in Charlevoix, Michigan, and it's a resort area. Um, my grandmother can't swim. She doesn't like the water. And my grandfather went out and bought a brand new Sea Ray and did not tell my grandmother that he even bought it. So um, he just wanted to be on the water. He was one of those guys who didn't necessarily care that he caught anything. And there were no techniques. We didn't have electronics. We did have electronics, but not like we do now. And um, he just wanted to drive around and have some lines in the water, basically, and enjoy being on the water. So um, I remember going out on the boat with him. Grandma didn't want to go, and I was all about it. So was that his way to kind of keep the, the work shift up and keep the time away from Grandma and kind of still have their free time behind the boat without telling Absolutely. her? Absolutely. Uh, um, so I the, think that had a lot more to do with it, yes. What was the first time, do you remember the first, well, one of the first times? I know you've talked about your first perch, but what's the first, do you remember a lot about that day and what you guys were doing and what it was like? I do. As a matter of fact, um, we were fishing for perch outside of the Medusa cement plant was the name of it back then. The name has changed since. But there are two sunken freighters in Charlevoix outside of the cement plant. And there is a catwalk that goes from one to the other. And it's the only way you can physically walk across and only the employees are allowed to be up there. But the perch used to school up in there in the springtime. And I do specifically remember being on the boat. Um, It was cold out. And I don't remember which little snowsuit that I had on at the time, (laughs) but I remember my hat. And I remember, um, so if you can think about a 30 foot sea ray and having a fishing pole over the side, it's not like it would be in my Lund uh, Pro V, of course, where the pole is close to the water. You're five, six feet off of the water. So then you have your bobber. And so I'm sure there was, uh, I don't remember a ton of excitement except for catching the fish. But um, if I had to do that now, I think it would be a little um, crazy because you're, you know, you're just not so close to the water. Um, And then, of course, the other thing I remember more than anything is cleaning the scales off the fish when we got back. Mm. Um, 
my dad took a bottle top from a beer can, a beer bottle, a glass beer bottle, and then they nailed it to a paint stick. And then we would go against the grain of the scales. And that's how we scaled the fish. And I, I do remember that. And of course it was a mess. They were going everywhere. Right. That is, that is ingenious actually. I mean, cause the first models were kind of looked like that. Right. So do you guys have a good day catching fish then? Or did you have a limit or? You know, back then I don't really remember, nor did no, I know no. and was too young to know what the limit was. However, <laughs> I remember scaling fish for a very long time. A lot of photographs mm-hmm. were taken and we ate fish for days. That's awesome. So that is Wow. So after that, do you guys, was it pretty regular you went fishing with him or um, was there more gaps in there or kind of how was the, how was the fishing? So my entire childhood was, um, we'll call it boating experience rather than a fishing experience. Okay. Um, living in Charlevoix, Michigan, we were there, were either out for salmon, looking for perch, or we were um, anchored up in Oyster Bay, which is located on Lake Charlevoix. And as we got older, us kids were out running around in the Boston Whalers, the little, you know, 12 footers, and we were kneeboarding mm-hmm. and tubing and the parents had the big flotilla going on with all the big boats. <laughs> um, that was kind of how my childhood was. So it was, it was an amazing place to grow up. Awesome. So when did you start kind of fishing on your own? Is there a time we started fishing? Was it like when you got to high school, were you still kind of doing some fishing or what was that like for your time that kind of kept you that kept that the drive to want to keep fishing going you know there was a the weird thing is the draw for me was on foot along the stream side um for trout and um smelt dipping back then and that was through my high school days but i hated all the bug bites i know everybody's probably read (laughs) about how i'm allergic to every bug that bites and um so It was funny how I pursued that because most of you know, when you're in high school, the last thing you want to do is, um, unless you have friends that do it, which I didn't have anyone that did this, um, I was basically heading out by myself. So there was a little phase there and that would have been from, you know, 16 to 19. And then early 20s is when I um, migrated up to the upper peninsula and then caught my first walleye through the ice. That's a, a, funny to me that you ended up where you did, but yet you really had no childhood, I don't want to say full-time, but fishing on a regular basis. It's kind of astonishing that that, that still draw still kept you coming back, even though there was nobody there really to fish with. Correct. There really wasn't. Um, and even the 13 to 15 years, whatever it was that I spent in the Upper Peninsula, I spent a lot of time on the ice by myself. And, you know, met other anglers out there. I knew all the wardens or the guys with the Michigan DNR um, because they kept coming back asking me for my license over and over. Um, (laughs) We all remember how that is. And, um, you know, then, of course, on open water, I was going up to the St. Mary's River by myself. And I still am in contact with an older gentleman who had just retired and saw me launch my boat on the St. Mary's River, and this was 2000 maybe, so 23 years ago. Um, And I'll never forget what he said to me. He goes, I've never, ever seen a woman launch a boat, much less go out and fish by herself. And we became friends. So what were you you fishing out of at that time? 
When I was on the St. Mary's River, I started in a small Lund Alaskan, and then my first, we'll call it big boat, was a Lund Fisherman, and it was an 18-footer, and I was so excited. It was that um, deep forest green color. Um, Okay. And every time family came up to visit, I took everybody fishing. I mean, it was a big deal. So you forged this kind of by yourself all alone up there, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, and was there any time you're like, you know, this is, I've had enough of this. I just want to move on. Or is it just that the, the, the bite waiting to happen? Was that always just so deep in that you had to have that over and over again? There was always a draw, some internal draw for me on the bite and just happened to get out there and learn more. Um, People would say, when are you coming in? You know, what time of day? And, and my answer was always the same. I don't know. Um, for some reason, I was always drawn to the water. And then, of course, um, on the St. Mary's River, you can do so many different things. I, you can be on there for 50 years. You'll never figure it out 100%. So um, the only time that I really, in my entire career, said, I think I've had enough was... Um, in 11, 2011, and that was in the AIM days, okay. where I literally got to a point, and I told the guys that I was traveling with, I think I'm done. I am literally done. Um, back to those first, what's the first thing you learned how to do good up there? What's the first thing that like you had in your back pocket? You're like, okay, I'm gonna try this today, but if I don't, I'm gonna go back and fall back on doing this or this to kind of get me to make, my, make have a good day of it. Are you What's referring the first to the St. Mary's River? Yeah, with well, the first technique you figured out up there that you really were confident in, confident catching fish. Um, I would say it would have been um, the use of bottom bouncers probably in the St. Mary's River, not only in the channel, but on the channel edges and then the real, the much lighter ones on the weed edge. Okay with boards would have been one of the very first things that were what I would have considered a go-to when, like you said, I would veer off and try to learn a new technique. But if I would get frustrated, I'd go back and I knew I could always catch fish. What was the one that you just like tried and tried and tried, took forever to figure out how to do? Um, I think that up there, it would have been, um, pitching jigs in those really, really deep, thick weeds that were up in that upper lake that was, you know, there was a Canadian border that had half of it. And then, yep. and I can't remember the name of the lake now. I'm sure those of you that know St. Mary's River are familiar with it. But that one, picking those pockets because they were so thick. Um, and it was simply because the stuff that I was reading was uh, pigeonholing me or it was taking me down this rabbit hole instead of saying, I don't care what I'm reading. I don't care what the other, this is before I was a pro, obviously. I don't, it doesn't yep. matter what they say. I'm going to do my own thing and throw all their techniques out the window. Also oh, like what research, research doing. you were doing. Yes, research. absolutely. So what, were we, what kind of stuff were you using to kind of help you along? Cause obviously there was no YouTube really. I mean, I guess no, there was, it wasn't but not YouTube. Quite. Yeah. Not then. We're talking. So like the, so like the um, Infisherman Insider, Walleye Insider, stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a huge phase way back then where all these articles were written. And now that I look back, I'm not saying it was bad, but I felt like it was more of an <laughs> ego 
thing on whoever can use the lightest jig and catch a walleye is the oh. best angler. Do you remember? I don't know if you are I, old enough to remember I, that. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. Yes, that that's. that's I think now, that's still kind of going the, on now with the with tungsten coming. Oh. In. I think that's kind of come making a comeback of got to have eighth ounce jigs, got to do this and got to do that. I'm like, I, I I can't I can't do that. Eighth ounce? Are you sure it's not thirty seconds? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think I haven't so, seen any tungsten that are that light yet. And, and maybe the influence that um, I was getting, and maybe this applied to other anglers too, that what they were getting back then, it's very possible that, and for me, I was so influenced by it that I should have thrown out the magazine and or the seminar and said, you know what, they didn't, it's not the only way. And that right. um, is something I didn't learn until later and started really exploring. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, you get, yeah, they kind of. When you're first going, it seems like you don't you don't really understand what they're what that article is is meant to do. It's you know I didn't understand as a young age that a lot of that's marketing, right? And uh, yeah, they are catching fish right. that way, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's how you can or how you will or how you can figure them out yourself that way. So it wasn't until much later that I realized, oh, that a lot of that's marketing. And then you kind of see you see this stuff nowadays, and you immediately go to okay, that's that's that, that's this. This kind of seems like this is what's actually going on, kind of thing. Yeah, I um, over the years and more so now than ever, if I do a seminar with anglers, I always encourage people. Now, it doesn't matter how crazy the idea. Um, and I, I share stories of how I put uh, plastic upside down on a jig and caught a 10 pound, you know, 31 inch walleye. It, it does, didn't matter that the um, plastic was upside down, obviously not tail first, but meaning yeah. upside down, literally. <laughs> so, um, but it's okay to let people know that um, it doesn't have to be perfect. And then I think it's a little bit harder for people now, even than it was for us who only had magazines, books. Yep. We had internet then too. Um, but they're also facing um, criticism from people when they post things and i see this a lot so it can be very discouraging so it very much is you kind of you know if you're going out on your own to do your own thing especially now with i think the with how much bass stuff is hitting walleye world um people Mm -hmm. really kind of can pigeonhole people pretty quick and trying things and and you know if if it's you know, random person putting something on Facebook, they caught something this way, they can get pigeonholed, but the same, same guy in a pro guy can do it at NWT and they're the greatest person in the history of the world. It's like somebody needs to try those things to see how they go. You just know different than, you know, you in the Bay and uh, Mississippi river throwing lure after lure after lure until you figure something out. Exactly. So, so what was the first big purchase? I mean, other than your boat, what was the first lure that you bought? Do you Do you remember the first lure? Oh, lures or type of lure um you know i i would have to say the first thing i really got into would have been learning how to try or tie excuse me crawler harnesses properly Uh um because on the saint mary's river with bottom bouncing crawler harnesses could be purchased pre-made however um that's when i really started getting more into the tackle where i was learning the snell and um, understanding, you know, how long the lead needed to be and what type of line needed to be used and whether or not the hooks were 
you know, oh, they're, if you don't have red hooks, you're not going to catch a fish. And um, just there's so many crazy things. I could probably write right. a book on all the different crazy things I've tried. They should have un, like, like a funny book, uh, Unwritten Rules of, of Fishing, because there is some goofy stuff out there. that. But it's funny. We all do it, though. I mean, you you said the red hooks. And, you know, when I'm tying mine up, there's a pile of red hooks. And they got to go on every now and then, you know. Um, right. So um, what do you... Back then, did you ever would have thought that we'd had the electronics we have now? That forward sonar and all that kind of stuff and live scope and panoptics was going to be a thing. Could you, did you imagine a world where, where we're going to jump forward that far? That that stuff would be available I to would, us? I would think for those of us that um, were involved in the industry, um, that where cell phones were just starting to be a thing, cannot imagine the capabilities like the people that are 20 years younger than I am on what their imagination is taking them now. So if I was to do a comparison, um, I think it's no different than talking to my grandmother who's almost a hundred years old, could never fathom what we have going on now. So um, I always knew that technology was going to improve, but to this level, no, there's no way. What would your grandpa have thought about LiveScope? Oh, I don't even honestly think that he would be able to comprehend it. Um, my grandmother, who is still alive, she is 96 years old and she can't comprehend Facebook. So um, I don't um, I don't think my grandfather, I think he would have just been like, oh, we don't need that. I know where I'm going. And um, he's following the compass. You know, he's just having a good time. Did you get a chance to take him out and take him fishing, kind of your world of fishing? And how, and how was that? I did. As a matter of fact, I remember the very last time I had him in my um, Green Lund Fisherman. And it was on Burt Lake in Michigan, which is located in the um, lower peninsula, but the northern half of the state. And um, again, he sat there and he was a smoker so he was looking out on the boat and of course he didn't want me to drive too fast because he didn't want to miss any of the scenery and for him he had the same mentality as he did in his sea ray he was literally just taking it all in and we did catch perch it was in the fall um, he was struggling with whether or not he should have been in the deer blind at the time because it was in November <laughs> and November 15th is a holiday in the state of Michigan and that's opening yep. day. And I think we were around the 21st or so. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, so he, I do remember, and, um, he was quite, he was a shorter man and was quite light and more frail. And I actually lifted him in the boat cause they had pulled the docks mm-hmm. at that time. So it was a great experience. So did he understand where you were going with fishing? Um, he always told me that he knew that I was either going to um, be somewhere on the top of fishing or win the lottery is what he used to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I definitely think that he felt that I had the potential to do so. For the full version of this podcast, check out Fix TV. And remember, follow me on the talk at Smile and Fish and everywhere else at Matt Snell.